podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Friday uh, at not lunchtime, basically. Um, right, so this is one of two podcasts I'm doing today. Uh, I'm going to have Gab Marcotti a little bit later. Uh, we're going to talk specifically about Arthur, and obviously that's just going to be specifically trying to get his thoughts on the player and what he could bring. But I thought for now, uh, because I've got nothing better, nothing better to do for a while, I would uh, give my thoughts on him, give my thoughts on the Newcastle game, and on tomorrow's derby, because obviously I missed Scouted this week. So let's start with the last couple of days, uh, which seem to have been quite chaotic. I have obviously missed and slept through quite a bit of it. Um, it all seemed to get a little bit ragged for Liverpool in the transfer market. And some of the players whose names came up they wouldn't have fallen into the category of the right player, quote-unquote. They would have been more stopgap approaches. Uh, Douglas Louise's name came up. And I like Douglas Louise. I think he's a better player than what we've seen at Villa for the last 12 months or so. I think he's been badly miscast as a number six there for quite a while. And now he's not really a first choice under Gerrard, although he has gotten back into the team a bit more in the last couple of games. Um, I think Douglas Luiz, if you're playing in midfield three and you've got a holding midfielder, in their case, Kamara, in our case, Fabinho, Douglas Luiz is the ideal type of player to play that Ginny Wijnaldum role, where he's a more defensive eight, but can also slot in next to the six and almost form like a defensive double pivot. He's good on the ball. He's a good passer. He's an intelligent player. I think he's pretty hardworking. Um, I do think he suffers a bit at Villa because I don't think Villa are particularly well managed. I don't think they've been particularly well managed while he's been there. I wouldn't be a big fan of Dean Smith. I think he did a good job at Villa to get them up and then keep them up. But I think Villa probably should have moved them on after that first season. 
for me, Douglas would have sat in nicely next to Fab on the left side and allowed Thiago to go to the right side. Not in every game, obviously. He's not going to be an every game starter for us. But in certain games against better teams, I think he could have been a really useful option. Now, Villa have obviously made the decision to keep him. They turned down some pretty big bids from Arsenal by the sounds of things. So we weren't going to pay probably any more than 18, 20 million for a player who was only going to be a squad player for us. Uh, Yuri Tielemans, of course, his name's been doing the rounds as well. Yuri's a really good player. Now, the concern over Yuri is he is slow. Um, I think Sam Maguire described it as you can't really call it running because it's more like jogging, and even jogging might be a bit of a stretch. Um, His on-ball ability is unquestioned. He is tremendous with the ball. Really good passer, progressive player, inventive player, scores goals. I think he could have played on the right of our three as a starter. I think he's good enough to start for a club like ours. Um, The lack of pace is something you'd have to factor in. But the talent is, is undoubtedly there. Leicester, having sold Fafana didn't really have a need to sell him. Now, they'll probably end up losing him for free next summer or selling him in January at a reduced price. But Leicester made that decision, and that's their decision to make. Uh, Sander Burge was another name that came up. And again, like... When you hear all the stuff coming out of the club about, you know, it has to be the right player, and it has to be this, and it has to be that, and there won't be any stop gaps... And then you see, you know, a player who's playing currently in the championship. It does immediately give you that sort of snobbish thing. Well, we're not going to sign any plays in the championship. And we only sign certain players. We, we don't do, you know, these gambles anymore. But Sander Burge is a good player. And he's 24 years of age. When he was at Genk, he played against us in the Champions League. And he was good. And when he was at Genk, he was one of the more highly sought-after midfielders in Europe in in terms of young midfielders. Now, the move to Sheffield United was uh, a deadline day, I think, move in January 2020, uh, their first season in the Premier League. He came in, he did pretty well straight away looked like a player well-suited to the Premier League. Then the following season, he had that bad ankle injury and ended up missing over half the season. And they were an absolute train wreck and ended up going down. At one point, it looked like they might not win a game of football all season. Um, But his injury was a big factor in, in their collapse in that second season. Last season, he played in the Championship. Uh, And again, he did miss 15 league games through one injury. Now, he's not so much injury prone as he's a very slow, he's very slow to recover from injuries. And we already have a couple of players like that and probably didn't need another one. But he does offer something we don't have, which is real height in midfield. I mean, he's 6'5". He's also a good ball carrier. 
like one of his real strengths is picking the ball up off his centre backs, driving through the midfield and getting the ball into the opposition third. He's an okay passer. He managed six goals last season, which was a career best for him. He's not a big time goal scorer at all. But last year he did play a number of games as a 10 behind two strikers. And it seemed to suit him, I suppose, a bit in the way that Fellaini playing as a 10 worked. Because he's big and he's awkward and he's very difficult to knock off the ball and he's a threat when you play the long ball to him. He can win the ball in the air. He can take the ball down. So that did work. But for us, would he ever have been a starter? No. Would he ever have even been a semi-regular player? Probably not. You would have been buying him in the hopes of flipping him, but he is a thirty-five million pound buyout or something, which is a little bit, a little bit mental. But I assume it went into the contract when they signed him, and that's probably part of how they managed to sign him was to give him what back then looked like a relatively low buyout that he should uh, should become worked within a couple of years. The injuries have slowed him. Playing in the championship has obviously tarnished his reputation among the elite clubs. But he wouldn't have been a bad signing. He would have dug us out of a hole, but very little more than that. Of those three, Yuri would have been the best buy because he's the best player. Douglas Luiz might have been the most sensible of the three because he gives you that defensive solidity and he can fill in as a six if you need him to. Uh, again, not ideal there, but I think better than what we have behind Fabinho. And it would have allowed Thiago to go back to the right and maybe given us a midfield that was a bit more balanced than what we've seen uh, this season. In the end, we get Artur, Artur Mello from Juventus on loan. Uh, it's odd that it took a Henderson injury to force their hand. You would have thought, you know, some of the good players getting injured might have done that. But the captain is now injured and he'll be out for a while. Uh, how long? I don't know, because I saw one report earlier that it, that it's a serious injury. And in the same report, it said he'll miss, you know, potentially five games, uh, which is less than three weeks. So that's not a serious injury. If it's a serious hamstring injury, it's, you know, multiple months on the sideline. Now, I know there's an international break at the end of that five games, and maybe he'll be hurt through that as well. I am reminded of the 2021 season when he got injured and the report was he'll be back after the international break. And then we didn't see him again for the rest of the season, which was four months. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Um, he certainly can't afford another serious injury because, well, if physically he is massively diminished and his lack of technical ability and lack of awareness is, is starting to get exploited and, and shown up more and more as we saw in the Newcastle game. Um, with Artur coming in, I think he's a very good player. Now, I know he hasn't done particularly well at Juventus or at 
Barcelona before that. And I want to talk more about that with Marcotti later. But if you look at him at Gremio, that 2017 season, he plays 50 games and was lauded best newcomer in the Brazilian Serie A, made the team of the year, was voted third in South American Footballer of the Year, which is a pretty decent achievement. Uh, he was third behind Luan and Paulo Guerrero. Luan was his teammate. Uh, Paulo Guerrero, the Peruvian striker, was playing for Flamengo at the time. Arthur was third. That, this, by the way, this is the award for players based in South America, not just all South American players. But to be the third best player on the continent is not, not a bad effort. Um, he moves to Barcelona. Barca are very excited to get him. They pay... 31 million euro plus 9 million in potential add-ons. The problem is that when Barcelona started to look at the possibility of signing him, Ernesto Valverde wasn't expected to really stay long-term. He'd sort of been brought in as a stopgap after Luis Enrique left. And I think the idea was that, well, this is Barcelona, we'll be going back to playing Barcelona football in the short term. Valverde is a necessary evil to kind of keep us successful. And obviously Valverde was successful. He won a, a double that year, League and Cup. <clears throat> so they weren't going to remove him after that. So he gets that next year. Artur arrives. And unfortunately for the player, it's very difficult to take a midfielder like him who specialises in playing in a three, who specialises in being a progressive midfielder, wanting to both carry the ball and pass the ball into the final third, and put him in a Valverde midfield two, who are basically just there to facilitate others. They're there to protect the defence get the ball and shift it wide and shift it forward. They're not asked to play their natural games. And that's one of the reasons that people started to really get down on Busquets at the time as well, is there was such limitations been put on his game. Now, in that first season, Arthur did fairly well. He adapted quickly. His ball carrying was decent. His passing was good. But that got reined back more and more as the season went along. Valverde wins the league again, so they keep him. That hadn't been the plan. But you can't sack a league-winning manager. So Valverde stays, and Artur becomes more and more of a glaringly poor fit in his midfield. Kike Setien arrives in January, but it's a little bit too, a little too late. Now, from there, the hope, I think, had been... Arthur is going to, Setien's going to stay. He's going to be okay. And they're going to keep him, uh, keep Arthur, and he's going to play a you know a pivotal role because what we'd seen from Setien before Barcelona was a manager who really did like to get a lot of creativity from his midfield, a lot of forward-thinking passes. When he was at Betis, that's how they had played. So, 
Next thing you know, Cumin is coming in the door, and Arthur is a horrible fit for Cumin. Cumin also, you know, wants to build his team around Frankie De Jong. So Arthur gets sent to Juventus. In and that's the thing, Frankie had arrived the summer after him as well. Remember, so now there's an extra body that you've paid a fortune for. So he's slipping down the pecking order a little bit. Because if you're going to have two midfielders that don't really fit what you're doing, you're going to play the newer, shinier, more expensive one and put the other one to one side. So he goes to Juventus and it's the swap deal with Pjanic. And as you can probably remember, this is the deal where it was, quote-unquote, £62 million, pounds, or €62 million Euro for Pjanic. Artur was going the other way for 72 million and another 10 million in add-ons. But the Pjanic deal had been wildly inflated from probably... What age was Pjanic at this point? Like, Miralem Pjanic, don't get me wrong, was a very, very good player at his best. Pjanic was 30. I would say, realistically, given he had, I think... Two years left on his deal. I would say he was probably a thirty-five million pound footballer at that point, which puts the Arthur price at probably forty-five million, then plus those add-ons. But he joins the Juventus that is in chaos. Sari had won the league lost both cup finals and got knocked out in the round of 16 in the bubble Champions League. So they sack him. And Andrea Pirlo, who'd just been appointed manager of the senior academy team, which I think is under 21 level, all of a sudden, with no coaching experience, he's vaulted into the manager's job. And he doesn't really know what he's doing. And Juventus are a bit of a mess in this season. There's also a lot of midfielders there at that point. And he doesn't seem to know what his best formation is, what his preferred lineup is. And there's a lot of jumbling along and picking this midfielder for two games and that midfielder for two games. And Artur and Ramsey and McKenney and Bentoncourt and Rabiot are all being rotated in and out. But Artur does have some really good performances. Then you flash forward to the summer of 21. Pirlo was let go. And in comes Italy's answer to Ernesto Valverde. Another footballing terrorist who likes his midfields to play in really small boxes and not do anything that could be deemed creative or inventive. And you take a look at their midfield options. They obviously add uh, Locatelli. They add Zakaria in the January. And all the rest are still there. And it just, it doesn't really work out. Artur is marginalised. He makes 31 appearances across all competitions. Only gets 11 starts in the league, nine sub-appearances. McKenney's, you know, the same kind of thing. Rabio and Locatelli are the preferred 
choices of the manager because from a tactical point of view, they're the two he thinks can can suit him best. Uh, Bentoncourt had been playing regularly, and I'm not sure why they decided to let him go in January, but it was a decision that they made. Um, so my point on this is he's he hasn't played for... Um, he's played for two good managers in Valverde and Allegri, but neither of them are known for getting the best out of midfielders, other than one exception. Old Allegri got the best out of Paul Pogba, but that was when he was playing a different way. He'd inherited a Juve team that were winning all the time already, and he was able to do what Allegri's great at, is making a couple of tweaks and elevating that team to the next level, and he did. He got them to Champions League final continued to win league titles, but this Allegri didn't take over a great team. He took over a team that was a bit of a shambles. Really was a bit of a shambles in Pirlo's year there and barely made top four. The squad needed a lot of refreshing and he's a very cautious manager who does very cautious things. So he didn't want to play a risk-taker like Arthur. Now, when I say risk-taker, risk taker, what I mean is he will try and play passes that aren't necessarily on for 90% of footballers, but for 10%, they are. And he is one of the 10% who's capable of making those passes at a high rate. Now, he's not Thiago by any stretch, but again, to, to mention Sam, Sam McGuire has pointed out, we have built a system that is enormously reliant on Thiago, but we don't have anyone in the squad that can do the things Thiago does, even to a good level, let alone the great level that Thiago does. Naby's a very good player, but A, he's always hurt, and B, he plays the role a different way. Naby's progressive play comes a lot more from ball carrying than ball passing. But Arthur is very similar to Thiago. His movement, his ball carrying, his passing, even his body posture as he strikes the ball is quite similar. The way he plays disguised passes is quite similar. So if nothing else, what we're getting is somebody that can do a competent impersonation of Thiago. So that when Thiago's unavailable or being rested, Arthur can slot into that role. And whereas Thiago might give us 9 out of 10, he can give us 7 out of 10, which is vastly superior to the 3 out of 10 and 4 out of 10 that Henderson and Milner will serve in that role because they can't play that role, or the, you know, the 4 or 7 out of 10 that Curtis Jones will give you as a young player having inconsistency problems, or having consistency problems. Um, so I do think he improves our squad from that point of view. There's also a world in which you could play him on the left and play Thiago in, on the right in certain games. And I think that will be worth exploring. I think Naby could play on the right with Arthur on the left as well. And I think that could be interesting. 
this move, if if and when Naby comes back from whatever this injury is, maybe now Naby is seen more as a right-sided option. So Naby and Harvey are the right-sided options and Thiago and Arturo are the left-sided options. We've gotten an option to buy. It's a little bit a little bit high, 37.5 million euro, which is probably, I think, 32 million pounds or somewhere in that sort of market. But at the same time, if he comes in and does really well, if he comes in and gives us exactly what we need when Thiago can't be in that position, well, all of a sudden, we'll have an already settled in what will he be, 27-year-old? Yeah, 27-year-old. He'll be 26 next summer. He turns 27 in mid-August of next year. But he'll be 26 turning 27, settled in, confident, part of the group already. He'll understand the system. He'll know the role. And we'll be able to get him without having to go through any rigmarole of personal terms or contracts or... uh, agents fees or anything like that it'll just be done and next summer we're going to need three midfielders minimum because Naby's going to go Ox is going and Milner should go so if this is one of those replaced great if we can go again in January and maybe bring in someone like Moises Casado Great. Then we need to get one next summer. And then it's one next summer and maybe a Bobby replacement. And assuming everybody else stays, assuming Gomez is happy to stay and Curtis is, uh, and Costas is happy to stay and all the rest, and, and Kelleher especially because, you know, he, he might start to get antsy. But we might go into next summer only needing one midfielder and and another forward, not necessarily a nine, but another forward to come in to replace Bobby's minutes because you'd have Darwin and Jota through the middle. You'd have uh, Diaz and Carvalho for the left options. Salah, and you're looking for someone that will come in and basically be a Carvalho on that side or or whatever. You're a young player who's maybe a couple of years older than Kate Gordon and a little bit further down the development route, but that might be it. That player might be available at a very affordable price. So you're only looking for a central midfielder. Maybe that's Jude Bellingham. Maybe it's Enzo Enzo Fernandez. Uh, who knows? But you know, we'd be boxed off in that way. The Artur deal is there to do. You hopefully, would get one in in the summer in January. Rather, it sounds like we we did try quite hard for Casado. Um, but, I mean, that was a deal we should have done two months ago. He would have been much easier to get two months ago at a much more affordable price before they sold Cucurella. Uh, you would have gotten him probably for 35 40 million. But once they had the Cucurella deal done, they were emboldened. They didn't need to sell anymore because they didn't need to balance the books any further. And then obviously he started the season brilliantly, so that price went up again, and and they knew we were desperate. So um, hopefully in January we can go back and get that deal done. And look, the great thing about this season is not it's not great. From a, a re- recruitment point of view, the great thing about this season is this season stops in the middle of November. 
So you have from when the World Cup break begins right up until the end of January to do deals for players. I know they come back for, you know, come back on on St. Stephen's Day or Boxing Day. That's when the Premier League starts back. But you can be working on deals from the minute the World Cup break begins. And you can have something in place that you can announce that deal even before January, have it wrapped up, have him signed, um, unveil him or register him on the 1st of January and he's straight into the into the squad. <clears throat> so you do get a bit of a jump start there and hopefully lessons will have been learned in this window and we won't have the same kind of cock-ups that we've had. Look, all things considered, is Artur the perfect signing? No, no, not at all. Uh, it, does it smell a little bit of desperation? It does. But he is a good player and he does fit how we play. And he does fill a need for us. And remember, well, first of all, he seems absolutely delighted to to make this move. And he's acting very much like someone that doesn't doesn't intend to go back to Juve. So he's going to come in really motivated. There's a World Cup on that he's going to want to be part of. You know, he has played, I think, 22 times for Brazil. So he's going to want to get back into the Brazil mix. He's been a little bit out of it the last two years. But in 2019, he was basically first choice for Brazil. So he'll want to get back to that level. He'll want to get back into that mix. And he'll want to go to the World Cup and and do what he can do. So he's going to come in with something to prove. He really is. And if nothing else, maybe then that just means we get three great months out of him. And if we don't get anything good out of him after the World Cup, just send him back. There's no risk in this deal for us. But there is potentially a really good reward. Uh, On Newcastle, um, again, we were just very poor, as we have been uh, pretty much every game bar Bournemouth, who I'm not really sure if they're a Premier League team or not. Um, go behind the Isak goal uh, James Pierce rushes to blame Fabinho I've seen others rush to blame Virgil there is one person at fault here and it's it's the captain um, he goes for an interception I don't know what he's doing he sticks his foot out diverts the ball to Longstaff and then rather than go and try and block Longstaff off or press him or do something he stops turns back towards Isak and starts to move in that direction. So Fabinho has to react to that. So he now has to press Longstaff because he thinks, well, my captain's going to guy to, to, to mark the fellow behind me. But the captain had no real intention of doing that, as is his want, and just kind of stands around as Isak gets the ball and scores. That goal is on Jordan Henderson. Like the two goals at Old Trafford, that goal is on him. His unwillingness to do his job cost us. And it was part of a dreadful performance from him. I think he played two good passes. It was dreadful. Now, look, I don't want to get too deep into this one because I watched the game on my phone lying in a hospital bed, so it wasn't exactly the most fun in the world, but it was, you know, it, it was 
fairly clear that once he went off, we did improve quite quite a bit. We'd gotten ourselves back into the game uh, through Bobby Firmino. Really nice, quick move from back to front. Harvey Elliott threads that ball through for Salah. Salah cuts back, rolls the ball into Bobby's path, and without breaking stride, Bobby just passes it into the bottom corner. It's a very good goal. We go on to win the game. Fabio Carvalho, who'd come off the bench with a very, very good finish. Given the situation, the amount of bodies in the area, he just leathers the ball past Nick Pope. Obviously, lots of crying from Toon fans uh, because it was the 98th minute. There was only meant to be 95 minutes. There's no conspiracy here. Uh, You were time-wasting in the first half. You time-wasted more in the second half. And then when a minimum, and that's the, the key word here, minimum of five minutes stoppage time was added, you continue to time waste. Uh, Jolington went down pretending to be injured. Sean Longstaff started pretending he had cramp. Nick Pope pretended he'd hurt his shoulder. You committed a couple of fouls to slow play down. And then, so all told, you wasted over two minutes of the five minutes of stoppage time. That puts the game clock to 97. We win a corner just before 97. So the ref has to let it be taken. Now, he could blow his whistle when the ball is in the air. We've seen that happen before. But as James Milner sets up to take the corner, some idiot Newcastle fan chucks a ball that they'd refused to give back earlier onto the pitch. And it takes about 10 seconds to get that ball off the pitch. And the goal is scored at 97.09. There is no argument that that is a perfectly legitimate goal. Uh, No argument against that fact. It's perfectly legitimate. The referee was right to continue to add time. Referees should continue to add time. Again, it is a minimum. I'm sick to the back teeth of seeing you know, a minimum of X amount of time and the referee blows up exactly on the minute when one of the teams has spent the entirety of that stoppage time wasting time. The rules need to be properly applied, especially to teams like Newcastle, who this isn't the first time they've done this under Eddie Howe. This is a, a quite a regular tactic of Eddie Howe's. And when you start time wasting the first half, when you behave like Stoke, you should get treated like Stoke. He should be relegated. Um, A good win, an awful performance, but an important three points, uh, which we we did desperately need. Premier League table doesn't make great viewing as we currently sit in sixth on eight points. We're one point behind United, who are awful. We're two points behind Brighton. We're level with Leeds, level with Fulham. We are a point ahead of Chelsea, which is nice. We're seven points behind Arsenal, but I wouldn't worry too much about that. Uh, We are five points behind City, which does concern me. Three behind Spurs. And again, that's a little bit of a concern because I do think they're going to be one of the top three this year. Um, 
there's no doubt we'll get top four. But we are in a position now where we really can't afford to drop any more points or the title will be gone by the end of September, which you know was gone last year, probably November, December time. Can't afford to let it go this early. Just can't. Um, we play Everton tomorrow at Goodison. They're awful. They've drawn three and lost two. They've only scored four goals in their five games. Two of them were long balls over the top. One of them was an own goal. One of them was a defensive error. They're not good. They're not good at all. There's lots of bus parking, lots of time wasting. We know what they're like. We saw what they were like at Anfield last year. Pickford will be running the clock from minute one. There's going to be lots of diving. At least Richarlison is gone now, so that's less diving, but Anthony Gordon, as we know, is a bit of a specialist. There's no excuses if we don't win this game. This is a, uh, It's a must-win for us, and it's a game we should win very, very comfortably. Like I say, they're awful. And they're missing Townsend, Godfrey, Mina, Calvert-Lewin, Ducure, and Holgate. So that's a number of starters missing for them. In the week, they played Leeds. They played Patterson, Cody, Tarkovsky, and Michaelenko. If they play Cody and Tarkovsky as a two against us, we should absolutely tear them asunder. Now, they've got lots of energy in midfield with Davies, Onana, and Awobi. They've got pace up front with Gray and Gordon. And they've got Dwight McNeil, who can deliver a good ball. The two fullbacks are decent, but there's no real goals in that team. And there's no pace at all at centre-back. And we should tear them apart. We should carve that defence apart. Now, things are looking better for us on the injury front. Ibu's out. They've said it'll probably be the international break. He'll be back in training. So that's quite a long absence that he'll have had. But hopefully he comes back and we have him back for the start of October uh, once games resume after the internationals. Callagher, they're hoping he's back next weekend. Thiago apparently is going to be back in training at the start of next week. That remains to be seen. Jota is back in training and should make the bench this weekend. So that's a big boost. Darwin is back from suspension. That's a huge boost. Ox remains sidelined for God knows how long. Uh, Henderson, we'll wait and see. Who knows? It's either a serious one or it's not, but nothing's come out about it. Uh, Calvin Ramsey is back in training, so hopefully he's able to make the bench soon enough. Joel Matip is fit again, which is a big boost. And then there's Naby, and God knows what's actually the situation there. But things are starting to look up for us from an injury point of view, getting Darwin back, getting Arthur in. It's, a, it's an extra body. He's not going to be available for the weekend, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, international clearance didn't come through in time. But we should still have enough. I'd like to see a midfield three of Elliot or Carvalho. Fabinho and Curtis and not play James Milner. 
because I don't think he's got the legs to cope with their midfield. They will run and run and run. I think Jones makes more sense. Now, I've said Elliot or Carvalho. I don't think Carvalho is a midfielder by any stretch. I don't think Klopp sees him as a midfielder yet either. I know he's come on as a sub in those positions, but one was in a game we were chasing and the other was a game we were 5-0 up. I don't think he'll start him, but I do think he'll have to be start being careful with Elliot. So you don't want to overplay him, and not at this point of the season. I'd like to see Darwin start with Diaz and Mo. I think Matip should come in for Gomez. The rest of the back four stay the same. I know Robbo's not playing particularly well, but I don't think Klopp will make multiple changes to the defence. And if he's going to make one, I think he should bring Joel Matip back in. Although Joe Gomez's pace could be helpful. We need Trent and Robbo to up their games. They haven't started the season well at all. Joe has looked a little bit ropier than you'd like, but it's understandable given how little he's played the last couple of years. Um, Virgil looks like he's kind of playing within himself at times. One eye on the World Cup, perhaps. We need our lads to start being our lads again. We need them to be the players that we know they can be. And we need to put a run together. And it needs to start now. It needs to start tomorrow against Everton. We've got to go there and win. As simple as that. Go there, win. Doesn't matter the scoreline. Beat them 1-0 or 10-0, you get the same three points. Just go and get three points. And on to the next one. The Champions League kicks off in the week. And that's going to put more and more strain on these players and I'm sure you've all seen the schedule by now and it is fairly brutal Everton away Napoli away Wolves home Ajax home Chelsea away Brighton home Rangers home Arsenal away Rangers away City home the only gap in there is a two week break for the international break so players are going to be off playing you know, then after City, it's West Ham in the week. Then it's Forest at the weekend. Then it's Ajax in the week. Like up until the World Cup break, which comes after we play Southampton on November 12th, it's games every three or four days other than that international break. So I'd be very much in favour of a lot of our players developing minor hamstring issues before that international break so they can't go. Um... Last thing before I go, 27, no, sorry, 29 former Liverpool players moved this summer in one way or another. Martin Skirtle retired. Daniel Sturridge became a free agent and remains a free agent. Pepe Reina joined Villarreal as a free agent. Phil Coutinho made a permanent move to Aston Villa. Kiana Hoiver went on loan to PSV Eindhoven. João Carlos Tuxera joined Um Salau, a club I genuinely have never heard of. They are in the Qutari Stars League. Uh, Jordan Rossiter joined Bristol Rovers. Leva, Lucas Leva joined Gremio. Teo Awani joined Forest. Luis Suarez joined Nacional. Dan Atherton, who with respect I don't remember, he joined TNS. Isn't that a Welsh club? Uh, Dean Bussanis, he joined Reading. Was he a goalkeeper? If I made that up. Yes, he's a goalkeeper. 
Joe Allen went back to Swansea. Bobby Adekanyi went to go-ahead Eagles. Raheem Sterling went to Chelsea. Shamal George to Livingston. Ozan Kabak made, made a permanent move to Hoffenheim and has started the season really well. Uh, Bundesliga Player of the Month in August. He was never as bad as you people said he was. He was just partnered by garbage. Uh, Lee Peltier joined Rotherham. Bobby Duncan joined Real. I don't know. Looks like Pollum, Pollum Pedica. Never heard of this club either. They are a Spanish team. Uh, God, what league do they even play against? Oh, it's the third division in Spain. Wow. So in this division, it's a lot of like um, B teams. So you've got Barcelona B, you've got uh, Athletic Bilbao B, Real Sociedad B, Real Madrid B. But the one that stands, Celta, Celta Vigo B, the one that stands out to me, Deportivo La Coruña, not their B team, their first team. Things have not gone well for the once great Deportivo La Coruña. One of my favourite teams to watch in the late 90s and early to mid 2000s. Things have not gone well at all. What a shame. Anyway, uh, Ginny Wijnaldum to Roma on loan. Christian Benteke to DC United. Connor Cody made a loan move to Everton. Uh, hopefully he might you know, kick us in an own goal or two this weekend. Rafael Camacho moved to Aris on loan. Ryan Babel, a Yupspor. Lazar, Lazar Markovic, Gizintep. Uh, who are, I believe, a Turkish team. They are indeed. And finally, Martin Kelly joined West Brom. Mario Balotelli took his considerable talent and sideshow to FC Sion. Adam Phillips went to Barnsley on loan, and Ryan McLaughlin became a free agent. Um, Ryan McLaughlin's been around a bit, I think, over the last couple of years. Left us for Oldham. Was at Blackpool, two years at Rochdale, and then Morecambe. Still only 27. Uh, hopefully he catches on somewhere fairly quick and gets gets back to playing. And that's it. That's all I'm going to do for today. I'll be back later today with Marcotti, and we'll talk to him a bit more about Arthur. Um, but enjoy tomorrow. And, um, yeah, I'll see you then. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds 
and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.